Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish City Stars Crime Podcast. I'm Crime Defence Editor Mick O'Toole and I'm joined today as usual by our crime correspondent Paul Healy. Hello Paul. Hello Mick. It's been another busy week. Do you ever sit there and think, do you know what, I'd, not a, a, a day, I would love a week where there's not much happening. Never. <laughs> no. I, I, like even, like even, even, and we're going to talk about some of the stories we've been doing, but even, so today's Thursday, on Wednesday night, there was a late breaking story, a terrible tragedy in, in Hibsburg about a lady killed by a car that had a, it was a hit and run basically. Mm. And they were just sitting there and just, it just consumes you. Because I was sitting watching Man City actually and then this happened and it just, everything drops and you could be working from eight o'clock in the morning and then just stories happen throughout the night. I've had stories break at half 11, quarter to 12 and it just, it just it's a constant barrage of stories. But anyway, we are where we are. How was your week? You know, it's been busy, but as you say, just it's usually those weeks that aren't busy that then a story like that happens late at night. Yeah, so it can happen at any time. Yeah, this has also been so this this month, the, the courts have resumed in, in the CCJ. So there have been a number of trials that have either resumed or began uh, this month. So it's busy, busy, busy down in the CCJ. We don't always get to cover every trial. But there are some pretty high-profile trials uh, starting now this month that we're going to be poking our heads in and out of. Yes, so we'll, we'll talk. You were obviously at uh, Mr. Chervy yesterday, but earlier in the week you were in court for the Iceland Murphy murder trial. Now that has been delayed, but it's going to be taking place. I think it's going to be in the next fortnight. Is it? It's going to start per se. Yeah, I, I, I just we should probably just say from the outset to explain to our listeners that we are somewhat restrained in our reporting of these trials because they are before a jury. So it's not the same as, say, the Hutch trial, which was a non-jury court. So we had a bit of freedom. So I'm just going to be able to explain to you the very basic facts of the case you're talking about. But we have to be cautious about going into too much detail. We can only really report and talk about what's been said in court before the jury. So yeah, the, the trial began this week uh, of Yosef Pushka, uh, and he is a 32-year-old man. He's accused of the murder of Ashling Murphy. Um, he's an address at Lainali Grove in, in Mukla, County Offaly, and, and this, this murder is alleged to have occurred in Tullamore uh, in January of last year. Um, so that trial was set to begin um, this week, but we, we learned in, in the case that there uh, are going to be um, issues that need to be discussed, and those issues will be discussed um, outside of a, a, of a of a jury. So for the next two weeks, um, you're not going to be really hearing about this case. So in in two weeks' time, uh, this matter will be before the jury, and it's it's set to be uh, a lengthy trial. Yeah. So just re referring back, obviously we did have leeway with the, the Jerry Hutz trial, but I remember in 2015 there was a. a a trial, the first, it was really the first trial we did live tweeting. It was the, the trial of, of Graham Dwyer. So I live tweeted that. Um, and it's, it's journalistically, it's very interesting because it was the first, as I say, it was, it was the first trial that was live tweeted in Ireland. But essentially, if we do talk about it on Shattered Lives, if we do, do talk about any of these jury trials, they'll essentially be elongated court reports. There won't be any discussion that we did about it. It'll just be, this is what was said, this is what was said in front of the jury, and, that, and that'll be it. Yeah, and and look, there's there's lots of interests in in trials even before they begin. You know, in general, um, when uh, when you're in the early stages of a trial, there's what's known as legal argument, and 
that is where I suppose issues that are things that may come up in the trial are discussed. So it's important for reporters to kind of sit in on that and get the full details of what the evidence is and what the what the defence uh, is arguing maybe shouldn't be heard before a jury. So matters like that, all it's typical uh, before a trial really begins. And, 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 should be and we're not talking about yeah, and we're not talking about any specific trial. We're just talking that'd be the case to, in, in any trial. In any trial, yeah. In any but you were trial. you were you were in the the CCGA the last I think yesterday in relation to another murder trial that has started yeah so uh um, this is a trial that 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 began um before the central criminal court yesterday and this is the trial of jared cherby uh he is uh, a 36 year old man he's from east wall in dublin and um he is accused of the murder of robert messett bobby messett uh, in bray boxing club uh, back all the way back in 2018 june 5th 2018 and he's also accused of the attempted murder of, of well-known boxing coach Pete Taylor uh, and of another uh, man uh, named Ian Britton. So the facts of this case were heard uh, the, in the opening statement um, by the prosecution. Uh, Mr. Paul Murray, uh, senior counsel, uh, outlined the facts of the case before the jury. So it's six men and six women in that jury and they were sworn in. Um, and Mr. Turvey then was arraigned and pleaded not guilty uh, to murder and to the attempted murder of Pete Taylor and Ian Britton, all on the same date uh, at Bray Boxing Club in, in 2018. Um, so Mr. Murray outlined that the allegations of this incident is that there was a class happening, uh, a, a exercise class happening in the upstairs room of Bray Boxing Club uh, just before 7 a.m. on that morning, June 5th, 2018 and the class was being led by Pete Taylor and a gunman came up the stairs and stood in the doorway and fired uh, shots into the room and the first shots hit the person that was closest to the gunman uh, that was uh, the victim in this case um, Mr. Messett so Mr. Messett was shot in the head and died quickly uh, Mr. Murray said uh, uh, there at the scene then other shots sprayed across the room um, a total of nine shots were fired by this gunman um, and we heard that the shots hit uh, Ian Britton uh, and he survived his injuries and then the shots also hit Pete Taylor who uh, the, the allegations of the of the facts are he ran towards the gunman and in his um, attempt to run at the gunman he was then subsequently shot himself uh, and he also survived the incident. So Mr. Murray then just outlined, you know, it's up to the jury to determine uh, beyond all reasonable doubt if they are to find uh, Mr. Turvey guilty. Uh, they they need to find that beyond all reasonable doubt. And he was explaining just how that process works. And in the in the law, he was saying, you know, there isn't really any definition of that as such. Um, but they have to presume throughout this uh, trial, which is going to last between six to seven weeks, that Mr. Turvey is innocent uh, and until they decide otherwise. And just in relation to the murder charge, so they, uh, the, the under under Section 4 uh, of the of the Act, basically, it, it they can find if there was an intent to murder or cause serious injury, whereas in the attempted murder charge, they have to find that there was an intent to murder. So that's the difference there. Uh, so they have to find that there was an intent to murder Pete Taylor and Ian Britton. 
but they have to find if, if they're going that way and they have to find whether uh there was intent to cause serious injury or or murder uh the victim in this case bobby messes and did we here have any indication of how long they, they expect this trial to last Yes, uh, they expect the trial to last between six to seven weeks. There are going to be over three hundred witnesses in this case, um, so it is a it, there. There is a lot uh, to be heard. There's going to be maps and uh, over five hours of CCTV. Um, and Mr. Murray, you know, he went into a good bit of detail there yesterday, outlining. Uh, in general, what the prosecution's case is going to be. So we did get an insight into the allegations that the state is making against Mr. Chervy. And uh, the the facts of that are um, that there was a van used in this murder. Uh, that's what the state alleges and it had a British registration, a yellow registration on it. And it was captured on CCTV uh, coming into Bray Harbour and parked outside. Uh, Bray Boxing Club and there is an individual captured on CCTV wearing a yellow high-vis jacket uh, and, a, and a cap who was seen going uh, in the direction of Bray Boxing Club shortly before uh, the shooting occurs and is and, and is then seen leaving the scene. Uh, the prosecution alleges that this is Mr. Chervy. Um, the van then goes to an area called Pigeon House Road. People might be familiar with that location in, in, in the north of the city uh, near the East Link toll bridge there. And the van was parked there and it was subsequently discovered uh, once kind of word got out of this shooting. Uh, the guards were, were alerted to this scene, we were told, of this van. Um, what's in, it just in terms of the detail of what they discovered in that van, um, they found three white spirit bottles and we were told yesterday that the prosecution will allege uh, through a fingerprint expert that there are fingerprints found on two of those bottles um, and that they were analyzed and that they an expert has determined those fingerprints alleges those fingerprints to be Mr. Chervy's fingerprints on bottles inside the van that the state will allege is the van that was used in the crime. There's also going to be uh, DNA um, introduced in this case, uh, which the, the state will allege that there was DNA found in, in relation to this van uh, that they will say has a connection to Mr. Chervy. Uh, and then there's also extensive CCTV. We were shown just stills of this. So we're going to be shown this in more detail throughout the case, but we were shown, you know, as the stills I mentioned there of the individual in the yellow vis jacket, we will let, we, we also saw stills of an individual in a high-vis jacket, this time an orange high-vis jacket on a bicycle uh, in the Pigeon House Road area, uh, in the Russell Avenue area, where we were told Mr. Chervy's uh, parents live, his family home. Uh, and um, there's also CCTV inside a McDonald's restaurant in the uh, East Wall area where there's an individual that the state alleges is Mr. Chervy in the restaurant. And they say that this occurred just before the van was moved and their allegation is that Mr. Chervy moved that van uh, prior to and subsequent uh, to the murder at Bray Boxing Club. So those are just kind of, a, that's a general over sen uh, overall sense of where this trial is going to go over the next six or seven weeks. We're going to hear from uh, witnesses, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be members from Garda Shiakana and persons uh, who would have a connection to this case inside and outside of the boxing club. So yeah, the next six to seven weeks, we're, we're going to be hearing all of that.
so we'll see how that develops. Um, but just that's obviously a current murder case. So I think yesterday was the 19th anniversary of the murder of Rachel Callaly. Yes, now I can that, take my legal hat off and talk a bit freer. Yeah. So, <laughs> and because I I, 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 I always remember I, I covered. Yes, it is. I remember yeah. that that I still remember that day because I still remember going. Somebody tell me there's been a, a death of a lady. They said no, right? So it's, it's that area, um, and it's prob. It might be suspicious. That, and that's how these stories sort of emerge. You don't sort of hear. Sometimes you do if someone if there's a gun murder or something. But more often than not, it would be a person's body has been found and it's been looked at. So I can remember the first call we got about this was, right, woman's body found and it's suspicious. And then it was it was very quickly upgraded to murder. But oh, my God, did that murder case of, which was known as Rachel O'Reilly, but obviously Rachel Callity, did that dominate Irish crime life? So the, the, the murder happened in... 2004, Joe O'Reilly was convicted of the murder of his wife at the end of June 2007. I was there, a remarkable day when it happened. But you were speaking to Rose Callaly, Rachel's mother, to mark the anniversary of the murder. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, 19 years uh, since Rachel was murdered. And there's still, I mean, this, this shows you the enormity of the story. There's still a huge reaction to this day. Every time we write a story about Joe O'Reilly and about Rachel, um, and I mean, we had this on the front page of our paper uh, there on Wednesday, the 4th, uh, which was the, the, the 19th anniversary of Rachel's murder. Um, I suppose the development at this stage that's, that's I suppose, newsworthy is that Joe O'Reilly is now currently in the throes of his fourth bid uh, for release. Um, so he is before the parole board seeking release from prison. And what Rose told me is that this is the first time in her life that she she genuinely fears that there is a very real prospect that Joe could be released. Now, he's 16 and a half years in prison. He's not mm -hmm. the 19 years in prison and the average life sentence, you know, you're serving at least 19 years. But I mean, it's only four years away, uh, and three years away. And look, so. they're called, it's called an average for a reason. In other words, some are more and some are less. But I, I mean, I, I spoke about this before. The, the, the late Brian Lenehan, when he was Justice Minister, and it was just shortly after Joe O'Reilly was convicted in 2007, it was basically he said, he when he was, he took he went for lunch with him, and he said he will do 20 years. Now, that was a long time at the time, but look, we are getting to that stage, and, you know, life doesn't really mean life in Ireland. There are very few people who are in for their whole, effectively their whole life. I don't think, are there any, actually? Um, so, He's going to walk free someday. He will be out a life sentence prisoner. And when you get released, you're out on license. So you may recall that any moment. So he's still technically serving his life sentence. But I think, we, you know, people should be prepared. Maybe the next four or five years, I would say, he will probably walk. And the first indication of that will probably be that he's moved to Shelton Abbey or Lockin House, the open prisons. Yeah, well, I, I wonder whether the result of this parole bid will mean uh, a move to an open prison. You know, that's the next step, as you say, uh, towards freedom. You've got, you know, for example, Veronica Gearan's killer, Brian Meehan, mm -hmm. was moved to Shelton Abbey Prison. He's now in the final years of his sentence, and he's doing that in an open prison. We're probably going to see Joe O'Reilly do the same. Whether it's now, I don't know. There's the 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 one glaring thing that goes against Joe O'Reilly is that he has never fessed yeah. up. He's never admitted the murder of his wife he continues to say he didn't do it and that you know doesn't help you in terms of getting parole in any way 
I just want to mention also just briefly, you know, and you can read our interview on the Mirror Online, but uh, Rose, you know, she she gave kind of a fascinating insight into, you know, really when you look at things in hindsight, is there something, you know, she she has a lot of regret. Um, and, and she, you know, I mean, how could you really have seen that, that your daughter would be murdered? She knows that rationally, but she still kind of has thoughts of, you know, there were signs of problems and should I have intervened or should I have said something? But she always felt as a mother, you know, that she let her children live her own lives. But she can recall an incident uh, just about a year before the murder occurred where Rachel showed up at her house in a car and uh, she was in floods of tears. And she asked her to come in for a cup of coffee and she said, I won't come in for a cup of coffee. And she asked her, was it Joe? Have you had a row with Joe? And Rachel just nodded. Um, but she explained that like Rachel never really opened up and said mm -hmm. out loud that there were problems. She kind of told friends and family little tidbits of things that only when after the fact, sadly, when they put it all together, they had the whole picture. You know, obviously Joe was having a extramarital affair uh, with Nikki Pelly, um, you know, and and he, and he had one before that as well. Yeah. I, I, you know, I remember tracking down that lady. Um, so, yeah, you, you don't know. It's that, that old cliche. Nobody really knows what goes on but behind closed yeah. doors. Sadly. Poor Rachel. Terrible. Yeah, it's a crime that continues to shock the nation. I mean, mm. look, there, there are crimes every day, but this one, I think, really captured, um, you know, uh, everyone's attention and still does. So we continue uh, yeah. to follow for that reason. And one of the main factors, I think, in this was Joe's decision to go on the Late Late Show. Yes. It was probably two or three weeks after the murder, and he was a suspect by then. And, and I mean, Miss Callie Rose was on the Late Late with him. And it just, I think it just shocked the nation because people were looking going, that fella's bogey. That fella is absolutely bogey. And nobody could really say it, but, you know, definitely. And even Rose's attitude to him she was very i still remember watching it she was very still and she found it very hard to look at already because she knew so yeah so i mean yeah. i think that catapulted it up really up there into the the pantheon of really big crime stories you know yeah and she said that sense that you know from from that late late show appearance on she knew that joe had done it yeah yeah, that's it. But anyway, we continue to follow that with interest. There, there have outside of the courts been uh, a, a lot of fascinating things you mentioned at the start of this pod. Maybe it's worth talking about that now. Just that that terrible incident that 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 happened yeah. last night. Yeah. So um, it happened at six minutes past nine on the Fibsborough Road in North Dublin, and you can see there's video footage of it from a a, a, a camera a webcam of a pub in the area, and you can see. Um, I, 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 it's a Honda Civic, and it's it, there are two lanes on the the Fibsborough Road. There, I think a bus lane effectively, and it undertakes traffic at really really fast speed, and then it just goes out of shot, and it literally just at the out of shot, um, a lady is killed. Effectively, the the woman who was in her sixties, I think she was the, uh, she would have had links to Garda Shikana herself. I think she would have been related to a retired member, of the guards, and um, unfortunately she. She was hit by the car. It, there was an interaction. You can see there's a guard of car in the same shot, pursuing, following the the the, the, the car with its blues and twos on. So obviously that has been referred to the Garda Shilkana Ombudsman Commission. So there's two investigations. There's a criminal investigation by the Garda. The car failed to stop after the incident. I think the lady was killed instantaneously. God love her, but the, the Honda Civic didn't stop. Um, so there's criminal investigation into that, but obviously because it there was an interaction with the guards that has been referred to the Garda Shikana Ombudsman Commission under Section 102. That's when there's serious injury or loss of life mm. 
with the guard interaction. So the GSOC are doing their own investigation into this as well, but they're still very much a criminal investigation into this because the, the people in the car, the, the woman was killed by the people in the, the driver of that car. So there's an investigation that, so there's a, a twin track, but it's a, obviously a very terrible incident for everybody involved. Horrific, and I, I, yeah. see, I saw the footage myself as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you see this car speeding through. I mean, it's it's, it's horrific. It, sorry, did you say to me that the person was apprehended, or is the, what's the no, situation? No, they, they they were looking for the car last night, and we mm -hmm. got word late last night that they found the car. It obviously was a hit and run, so it didn't stop. So I don't know where it's located, but it was on the Civic. So they have the car. So that'll be being investigated. You know yourself, Paul. There'll be what they call a T, a technical examination of it. There's bound to be. They'll be looking for DNA and fingerprints and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that they understand they have the car intact. So that's obviously a major advance in the investigation. But it is, as I say, there's there's a twin track investigation, the GSOC one, and the Garda criminal investigation. Very two very serious investigations underway. Horrendous. Did, did they have any uh, idea of of what I mean? Why this car was being pursued in the first place? I, I don't know. Um, it, as ever, these things we get to hear bits and bobs, and it was a, a late breaking breaking story last night. So the first we heard was somebody mentioned to say, "Look, there may have been a fatal with a, a guard a car nearby." So then you know you start digging and, and bits and pieces come to you. I mean, it's just journalistically, it's it's we very rarely get the complete picture at the start, yeah. but it is is often things start to emerge. In fact, we only only learned late last night that this person would have been we understand would be related to a retired member of Angarda Shikana. So it's just bits and bob, but I presume the person will be identified today. And you know, I would expect pro progress in the criminal investigation of this quite quickly. Just just horrific. Terrible crime. tragedy. Just literally wrong place, wrong time as ever. So many times it has happened, you know. Yeah, I mean, you were only talking about this on the pod the other day, you know, yeah, just how the, the randomness of, of, of these incidents, you know, it's her yeah, horrific. It's, she was just crossing the road and, and, you know, she may not, I don't even know how far she got out on the run. And look, if you look at that video, Paul, that car, that Honda Civic was going at a really, really breakneck, I think it is fair to say a breakneck speed. Yeah, no, I mean, you can say anyone who, who can see the footage, yeah, you can see, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just shocking, goes right through the lights. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, shall we talk about the cocaine boat? Because there's been another yes. fa fascinating update in, in that case. Yes. So, look, obviously, it made headlines around the world last week when the MV Matthew was caught. Well, the guards say 157 million. You and I would, it was 2.25 tons. So, we always try and look at it from the street perspective. You know, yeah. the guards, to be fair to them, they have the international stuff, but we have to maybe contextualize it more. And they, to be fair to the guards, they can't say how much it would be diluted, but the, the, uh, Jerry Harrell from uh, Revenue said usually it could be trebled, but he didn't want to go into speculations. That's why we say 450 odd million. So we know that there were 20, I think it's 25 people on the ship. The captain wasn't on it, and, and, and he'd be careful. But there were 25 people on that ship. As, it, as the investigation has continued, eight people have now been arrested and charged. So if seven people have been appeared in court, I think one person is appearing in court today. And that does tally with what Assistant Commissioner Justin Kelly said. He at the very start in the press conference last Wednesday, he said he expected more arrests and there have been and there have been more charges. But look, this is a major investigation. And one of the big aspects about this was the involvement of the Kenyan cartel. Obviously, when any big seizure like this happens, it is where the Kenyans involved. So I think that the guidance we're getting is they may not have been involved in the selling and the physical 
distribution of it, but the belief would be that the Kenyan cartel was involved in funding this, because obviously there's a huge amount of funding that goes into it. So look, Figardi did, for example, release information the other day that officers, investigators from Interpol have come to Ireland to help with this investigation. And that shows the international aspect of this. As they say, drugs crime is now transnational. So the Guardi, they do, guards do go abroad in investigations and they're bringing in the Interpol expertise to help with the investigation. So I think it's probably fair to say that there will be more arrests and there will be uh, more people's collars being felt in relation to this. Yeah, it's fascinating. I heard you say on the pod, um, I wanted to ask you about this, uh, just the pod covering the initial story, um, that this might, in a sense, be kind of only a small drop in the ocean in terms of, you know, they're going to get plenty more drugs through. And I've seen people argue, you know, oh, well, what's the point in the war on drugs? Because they're just going to keep coming back in. But, I mean, 500 million worth of cocaine yeah. is 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 not to be... Uh, you know, taken lightly. I mean, that 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 is a significant portion. Okay, obviously, it was maybe only a small portion of that was being taken for the, for this country, but I certainly was under the impression, and certainly from what Justin Kelly said, that I mean, this is more significant than just your average drug drugs bust. I mean, this would have been a serious disruption uh, to multiple drug gangs, including the Kinahan cartel. Yeah, I look. There's nothing about that. Like, let's not forget this. It's alleged they bought the boat for something mm. like ten million quid, and they were and they bought various other things for hundreds of thousands and so so you know this wasn't a small scale operation mm. but so it look there's no doubt it was a massive operation but you know Malkin which is this EU's anti-drugs smuggling operation headed by Mick O'Sullivan formerly headed by Mick O'Sullivan who has been on the pod a couple of times I think they've seized about 10 million 10 billion euro worth of cocaine in the last four or five years that's a mm. lot of cocaine now look it's a lot it is. They're significant dents. A lot is getting through. More is getting through than it is getting caught. Most people would accept that it's just, is it 70%? Is it 80%? It could be 6%. We don't know. I mean, because it's, they don't publish it, but a lot does get through. A lot is being caught, and that is testament to Malkin and, you know, groups like the Guards and Policia Locale and the Guardia Civil in Spain, the NCA in England. You know, there's a concerted international anti-drugs campaign. It is working, but this is a big business, and one of the I mean, speaking to Michael Sullivan, he would say that Europe is now one of the main areas of business for the Colombian cartels because there's so much money and it makes so much money for them. But, you know, the good guys have bad days and the bad guys have bad days. There's no doubt about that. Uh, they they clearly thought that Ireland was the weak link, like the, the, the back door to, to Europe in a, in a sense. But uh, hopefully this shows that that's not the case, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, look, I, we, I did say before... Uh, when I was talking to Kieran Bradley last week, one of the things about Brexit is gangs are using Ireland more because they previously would have gone to, say, Rotterdam or Antwerp, one of the big ports. And from there, they would have brought it over to Britain by mm. Calais or whatever. But there have been more, there are more administrative checks because of Brexit now. So it's easier to bring it into Ireland. There are still checks, obviously customs still checks and stuff, but there's a common travel area. And it just, just, and you know all about the, the Green Channel and the Red Channel, like boring people about the Windsor Agreement or whatever it is. It's easier to get stuff from Ireland into Britain than it is from Europe into Britain. And that's just mm. the way of the world. And criminals, you know, will, they will find the path of least resistance. They want as few checks as possible. So that's why they're coming here. So look, there's no doubt. So that's one of the issues that we face. There is an issue with defence force 
defence force capabilities at the minute, not because it's just basically they don't have enough staff, people are leaving. Mm. We know that the defence the defense forces, the naval service has six ships, well actually eight, but the other, there are two patrol vessels, inshore patrol vessels bought for 26 million euro from New Zealand earlier this year. They're not in service yet, but they're technically part of the fleet, but there are six ships. They can only use two at the moment, and even that operation against the MV Matthew, really talking to military experts, there should have been two ships involved in that. There was one, the Ellie, Ellie William Butler Yates. There was one AW139 helicopter. There should have been two to provide top cover. And you know, you know, things like that. So look, there's no doubt the defense forces numbers-wise are at a low ebb and they're really struggling. Now the Thomas Jimmy Hallmark, who's the Minister for Defense as well as Foreign Affairs, says the government is doing everything they can. But this really is an indication of how defense forces are struggling manpower personnel wise. So of course criminals and transnational criminals are going to try and ex exploit that. It makes perfect yeah. sense for them to do that. Yeah, and it, uh, sorry, I, I just I find this whole topic fascinating. So I will move off it in a second. But uh, just another thing that I I found interesting is that uh, doesn't this show like it, in spite of all of the uh, the blows that they have taken, the massive pull that the Kinahan cartel still has. I mean, the fact that they're involved in this, and in a sense, they're they're looked at as the suppliers. They're they're the ones that have the contacts in Colombia mm -hmm. that are able to get the drugs in. In spite of all the knocks that they've had they still are a massive powerhouse. I mean, I think that's extraordinary. It's just business as usual for them in spite of everything. Do you remember when the sanctions were imposed by the Americans last April? Do you remember mm -hmm. I did a story, we put it up on the Mirror Online, it was in the Star, where I was speaking to a, a, a very experienced drugs investigator and he said, it would be business as usual for the Canadians. Do you remember that story? I might yeah. actually re retweet it. Uh, I'll put it up later on. Well, he was right. He was right. Uh, yeah, I might know that fellow pipe. But anyway, um, mm. so yes, and the Kidians are the people who have the international contacts. Now, there is a guy uh, from North Dublin who's a very big criminal himself, and we know that he sent one of his main underlings to Colombia a couple of years ago. So there are, and I think Justin Kelly did say this, that there are Irish crime gangs developing gang contacts in Colombia. But really, as was said to me 12 years ago, the, the Kenyans are the man united of crime in Ireland. They're the tier one people and they have the contacts. That was said by a, a, a very senior fella in drugs. So yeah, the Kenyans are where it's at. They are, they have that level of expertise and connections. Well, I mean, these other gangs would want to hope they're starting to make these connections because if they do eventually get the Kenyans and the hope is that, 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 they, that they do, that's a huge vacuum that's going to be left there. I mean, that's really at the heart of it, how you're going to stop this from coming in is by cutting it off at the head, isn't it? It's the, yeah, I mean, the drugs are just going to keep coming in, but uh, you take down the people that have the contacts and and that's that's what's really going to stop there, Yeah, but you remember, you know, going back a long time ago when the Gilligan cartel or the Gilligan gang was dismantled after the murder of Veronica Geer and people took over from them. So yeah. if the Kennings are done for let's we can talk about the family they're a big or they, they would be regarded the family would be regarded as the biggest crime gang in ireland operating at the minute kenyans are massive but they're i don't think they're really operating that much physically in ireland so that the family are there there will always be criminals who take other over from other criminals because the profits are so vast now the kenyans have massive contacts and that's the, the different issue and they are working on an international level but there yeah. will be people who take over from the criminal the kenyans there's no doubt about that Right, I know you're you're running to go, so let's yeah, quickly just, talk. 
quickly talk yeah. about bananas. Go on. Yes. So <laughs> as ever, I had a story in the, in the Star and the Mirror today about a, a guard who's under investigation for harassing a female member of the force. Now, and look, in a way, people do find it funny. But essentially, the allegation is this guard became aware that the, per, the female officer he was allegedly harassing had a phobia of bananas. And as a result, he started harassing her with bananas. So he would do things like leave bananas in guard cars or in stations. Now, it is, you know, people are laughing at this. But as it was explained to me, that woman has a very serious phobia. And he was, you know, it's sort of like coercive control. And I look, let's be honest. We call it a line. How could I possibly ignore journalistically that this man was allegedly using bananas? So, of course, people can laugh at it, but it is a very, very serious issue. And it's very, very, very troubling for that female officer involved. But anyway, so and he's, and he's also under investigation for allegedly criminally damaging the female officer's locker, breaking into the locker. Very, very. And it has gone on for quite some time. So uh, there is a criminal investigation. Guards are preparing a file for the director of public prosecutions. Uh, and they are they would be hopeful that you know obviously it has plenty of hurdles but they would believe there's enough evidence prima facie for a case but it just goes to show you the the insidious nature of harassment i just give you one example of this i mean we report today that effectively this guard the suspect was brought in for addressing down about his behavior because people in the area other guards were very uncomfortable and you know was raised with senior officers and he he was brought in for bollocking, basically, what the hell are you doing? And he wore a banana on his head. Now that, that's crazy. I mean, this man is brought in to enforce the law. And it is crazy. And people, of course, people are going to find this funny. But it's very serious. If it's true, it's very, very serious harassment. So look, investigation's ongoing. I would anticipate a file would be sent to DPP in the next couple of weeks. And then it's who knows how long it will take. But it is a very serious investigation. And it was a very serious alleged ordeal that female officer did suffer. And it just goes to show you the, as I say, the insidious nature of, you know, people getting under people's harassment victims' skins because they know what their weaknesses are. And the allegation is in this case, that's exactly what this guard did. Yeah, I, I, sorry, just, I mean, yeah, that is kind of the the, the fact of the story about bananas does obviously make mm. you want to laugh. But uh, yes. as you say, it's a very serious campaign of harassment, uh, allegedly, that went on for some time. And that's the that's why it's an, an investigation. Yeah. It is, and it's look. It is. People will laugh on it one another, but I think it is, and we can't ignore it. You can't ignore something like that is journalistically, but it is. You know, there is a, a, a human here who's allegedly at the the brunt of this of this harassment campaign. So uh, it's very serious, God lover. Fascinating. Shall we leave it there? Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thanks very much. Cheers, night.